Welcome to the Inspired Women Podcast. I am your host, women's empowerment coach and motivational speaker, Megan Hall. And on this podcast, I'm going to connect you with inspirational women who will share their real stories. And we're going to chat about topics relevant to women today. I'd love to continue to support you on your life's journey. Please join us in the Inspired Women community on Facebook. Thank you for tuning in today and enjoy the show. Hey guys, today I'm here with Brittany. Brittany May is a business owner turned business coach for women entrepreneurs. She is a mother to a fun-loving toddler girl. Oh, toddlers. That's that's a fun time. I'm so I'm so happy I'm on that stage. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> a standard poodle and is a mill spouse. She and her daughter are domestic abuse survivors from a previous marriage. Brittany left right after her daughter was born and has been fighting for safety and justice in the family court system ever since. She is currently working to get the laws changed to better reflect today's times and the knowledge we now have on domestic abuse and the lasting impacts it can have on the families and children it touches. She is a women's advocate hoping to help more women reach their simply happy by way of achieving financial freedom through her business coaching or freedom from abuse by her efforts to change the laws to better. Well, yes, this is a very important topic. And uh, I was telling Brittany that before we started this interview, because I too am a domestic abuse survivor. So it is very close to home, but I feel like it's a topic just like many of the other ones we talk about on the podcast. It, it can't be talked about enough, right? And the more we talk about it and the more people hear stories and start to understand, then they will see, oh, I may too have been through this sort of thing. I actually didn't realize the extent of the abuse I have experienced in my lifetime until I took a training to help with Samaritan House and domestic abuse survivors. And I was like, whoa, this goes like way back. This is not just like like my relationship I had where he like shot off a gun in my house. This is like, goes like childhood. Like I've literally been a part of like verbal and emotional abuse growing up. So it was, it was eye opening to say the least. So Brittany, tell us a little bit about your story. Where did it start? Yes. Well, first starting, where it, <laughs> starting where it starts is the most important part because people need to know like it it's not just like your first date, they slap you across the face. No. Oh my God. No. And just like you said, so many women and men are affected by domestic violence and it's truly become like an epidemic in America, but it's still one of those kind of taboo topics that no one talks about. And so it's just, I think it's so important for, you know, podcasts like yours to get out there and to get the message out because it needs to be heard and it needs to be, I mean, something's got to change. So, but yes, so <laughs> I was truly one of those too. That was just completely, I grew up, I had an amazing, wonderful childhood. I mean, my family, I'd hardly call them normal, but <laughs> we were happy and we were, you know, it was a happy childhood. So my first interaction with like domestic violence, I had no clue what was going on. And that sounds so silly. And people are like, well, how could you not know? But you don't, because like you said, it doesn't happen on the first date. Otherwise, no one would ever be abused because you'd yeah. be like, whoa, dude, like, okay, bye. No way. But like, uh, I met this guy. So I was done with university and I moved back to the States 
and uh, still very young. I was, I had been raped, drugged and raped by a neighbor. So I was not in a good place uh, mentally, emotionally. I was a hot mess and I was still really young. And so I was not in a very good place when, of course, I met this guy. And I think that plays a lot into it. Um, women that are like, you know, not as self-confident or what have you, they are way more susceptible to abuse. But so I met this guy, complete charmer, and just swept off my feet. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, this is the one, like I was smitten. And we were, he was perfect, like truly anything. He just very, they're very good chameleons. They reflect in yeah. the beginning, <laughs> in the beginning, what, uh, what you want to hear, what you want to see. And that's just, it's like your perfect guy, whatever that is to you, they will be it. You better believe it. And so, um, <laughs> so he just did, you know, he was very go with the flow. He was easygoing and that's, I'm like very laid back. I'm not a high maintenance girl. And so that's what I wanted. And he was so like everything, Oh, laugh it off. Like whatever. I was like, this is awesome. So we were engaged within three months of meeting each other. And this is me. People who don't know me, I was ever since I was born, I was like, I'm not getting married. I've always said that <laughs> I was just not that girl. I was like, I want kids. I want a career like screw the men don't care. But he had me convinced in three months of meeting him. He was like, no, everybody wants to get married. And no, like, this is, you met me now. And like, what have you? So what have you? I was like, okay, yeah, maybe he's right. I've just never met the right person before. So we got engaged. And that's when it was kind of like the switch flipped. And it was very, very subtle. In the beginning, I will never forget. I mean, a lot of things I will never forget. But one of the first times, um, we had been, and he was always calling into work to stay with me, which when you're in love, you think that's so wrong. Oh, he just wants to spend all this time with me. Hmm. It's so romantic. And he'd text me all the time while I was working, you know, checking in, but it was constant. Um, and I did not see that as a red flag. You know, I was, I was in love. It was great. Um, and we went out one day, so he'd called into work. So we were, and I was working from home. And so we went to go to Subway and ordered sandwiches and like in the car, we were driving back to eat them at home. And he was like, just off. Like I could feel like, you know, the anger off of him. And I was like, what's wrong? Like your whole tunes change. And he was like, nothing. I was like, okay. So like we get home, we're sitting at the table and he's still just like fuming. And I was like, like what's wrong like I can tell you're upset and he's like I can't believe you would do that I was like do do what like literally nothing has happened so I'm like completely confused I'm like do what and he's like you were flirting with that guy and oh. I was like yeah <laughs> Megan's like oh here we go yeah so he was like you're flirting with that guy and I was like what guy like we literally haven't seen anybody and I was like the subway guy <laughs> and he was like yeah and I was like I literally, all I did was order my sandwich. I didn't have a conversation with him. I ordered my sandwich. And so I like was stunned because this was my dream guy. So I, and this was the first of it. It's never happened before. So I was just completely confused. I'm like, is this a joke? Like, psych? Like, no, I was waiting for, you know, the laughter, nothing. 
And I was like, okay. I was like, did I say whole wheat really sexily? Like, I'm not like trying to make a joke out of it. And, you know, he was like, no, it was the way you said tomato. And he said, what? And laughed. And then you said it again. And I was oh, like, Lord. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, okay. So I like tried to talk to him about it as you do, you know, in a relationship. I'm like, okay, I don't understand where this is coming from. And he laughed it off and he's like, okay, I'm just adjusting to being engaged. That's what he told me. So, and that left me, I remember feeling weird about that for like two weeks. Like it just like ate at you and it was just weird, you know, and you couldn't really shake it, but whatever, moved on, nothing happened in those two weeks and life went on. So it was just little things like that that kept spiking up that were, you know, a few weeks in between. And then he was starting to control what I wore and who I talked to and friends and even family members. He even accused um, one of my best friends is gay and has been friends for years and years. And he literally was convinced that my friend was pretending to be gay just to be close to me. Like, yeah, <laughs> like it was insanity. And so it was at that point that we were just fighting all the time because as a normal, rational person, you're like, like, what is wrong with you? This is not normal behavior. And that's, and I knew that wasn't normal, but I didn't know at that point what he was doing. And that's when the physical abuse started happening um, because I got to the point I was just so annoyed. He'd keep me up. I would always have like business trips and he'd keep me up all through the night, but every time without fail before I was leaving um, mm -hmm. over some stupid argument and like it was constant and then I'd be exhausted and you know, it was whatever and it was constant. And that's when I started the first time I ever tried to walk away from him. Oh my God, you do not ever walk away from me and threw me into the wall. And that's when, you know, the abuse started and it just escalated from there. But yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't happen overnight. And at that point you are so sold on that first person that they presented to you that you're convinced that's, that's who they are. Mm -hmm. This, this is something else. So you take every excuse. Oh, I had too much to drink last night. Oh, I'm stressed about the wedding planning. Oh, I'm adjusting to being engaged or work stressing me out. Yada, yada, yada. There's always an excuse other than the facts. I'm and sorry. I'll never do it again. I promise. Oh my God. Like I can't even, I lost count of how many times I heard that. And it's, I mean, I honestly wish I could go backwards and just shake myself because, mm -hmm. you know, knowing what you know now, but when you're in the moment, it's just, you know, and then you're like trying to talk to friends, but you can't really you don't want to throw them under the bus you don't want to get them under trouble so you're you kind of sidestep the actual issue and everyone's like oh everybody fights that's what I remember because you're wanting to hear you know solid advice you're like is this normal like what's going on oh everybody fights and so you're okay well you know and but you know deep down that something's not right but I honestly I didn't put the word abuse to it even though I had bruises everywhere and was being mm -hmm. throttled and thrown and what have you but I didn't even put it that onto it and so like you know a year or so into it which is ridiculous but you just don't realize and you you're in love with them and so you want to take them for the word and you want to 
assume it's not going to happen again. And, you know, and so we tried like everything. It was like, okay, well, if it's drinking problem. It's a drinking problem, you know, and the big crocodile tears and I need you, I need, you know, your help and what have you. And then he told me that he was abused as a kid by both mm -hmm. his mom and his dad. And so then you feel sorry for them and it's, well, he just needs help and what have you. So it was just one excuse after another, but it worked for a while, <laughs> well, longer than a while, but it was truly uh, when I got pregnant with my daughter that that set everything kind of into motion because I think I was so beaten down before I even met him. And then he did an amazing job at making that even worse mm -hmm. that I didn't feel like I needed to stand up for myself. Well, this is what I deserve. It was my fault, mm -hmm. you know, and I accepted that and that's was my mentality going through that but when I was pregnant with another life mm -hmm. she didn't do anything and she deserved the world and you better believe I wanted to give it to her and so I remember bawling in the shower because I couldn't cry in front of him and just promising her that you know I would get out sorry and You're fine. <laughs> but so it's, she truly saved my life and put the whole thing into motion. And he put me in the ER when I was seven months pregnant with her. And I waited, I had her, and then that's when I got out. And, you know, then <laughs> you think it's going to be over, but oh my God, Megan, then you go through the court systems. And it mm -hmm. is, I had no idea, obviously, until you're in it, but just, it's a whole nother nightmare. Yeah. And it's, it's insane. And it's just crazy the amount of women that are stuck in the same position and going through the same system and in far worse shape than I am. And it's just, it's disgusting. And it needs to be talked about because I was convinced once I had the courage to leave that the courts would do the right thing mm -mm. and protect us. I truly, that's what I was like, you know, everything's going to be fine. And oh my God, it was hell. Like today, three years in, you know, we are in a pretty good position and a lot better off, but we are still, still fighting. Um, and I've just met so many families and women throughout this journey that have gone through the same thing and or worse and even have had their kids taken away from them just because the system is so, so broken and they're not doing the right thing. And it's just terrible. <laughs> Yeah. People, people say, Oh, why don't you just leave? Well, by the time that you get to the point where you realize you should leave, they've stripped you of everything. Like you, you don't have, you feel like you're worthless. You, your relationships with other people are either non-existent or very rocky. Uh, you, if you have a job, your job's not stable because they've made it unstable for you because they are showing up and being crazy. And they're, you're having to call off because you know, you just can't, you can't that, that day because they're, if you know, if you go, it's going to be way worse for you than if you just stay at home and call off of work. You know, people are like, well, don't you see this coming? But they show this glimmer of that person you saw in the beginning, that person that you fell in love with every now and then to make you feel like, okay, it, they do mean they're sorry this time and they really are going to get better. But especially when kids are involved, it's even more complicated because like you said, the system's a broken system. And my ex shot off a gun in my house. And guess what? We have joint custody of our daughter. Like 
they sent CPS to my house after I left him. I told him the whole story. Nothing happened. Nothing. And now, as far as I know now, he's sober and he's, he's married to his wife now. And I, as, as far as I know, there is no abuse going on, but I don't know. So like, I won't know, like my, you know, my daughter's going to be nine in August and I would hope that she would tell me, but would she tell me, you know what I mean? Like, would I know? And that's the scariest thing is because her father had a drug and alcohol abuse problem and the abuse always happened whenever he was high and drunk. It didn't happen when he was sober. So they may be connected. I don't know. I'm not going to assume what his intentions behind it. But the scariest thing is, is we're talking about a system that even if you get up the guts to leave, you may not even be protected. You may have to share custody with this person who beat you and um, verbally abused you and made you feel worthless and have to worry all the time whether that's going to happen to your child too. So what was your experience with the court? Like you talked about how it was hell. So what kind of hell? Tell us about that. Oh my God. So yeah, exactly. That's by the time I had my daughter, he had moved us to a different state. I had no friends. I had no family. I really was not allowed to leave the house. Um, He took my car away from me and uh, accidentally crashed it. And so then Mm -hmm. he, yeah. Yeah. Oops. Um, (laughs) So got rid of my car and then we got one new car and he always had it. So I had no means of transportation. Um, I was truly held captive in our house. And this was in New Jersey at the time. And uh, he had, I remember one night before I was able to get to Kansas, uh, he had beat me and he was holding our daughter hostage and I was finally able to get out because I I ran out of the house I was like keep her and he was like get out so I was like and I knew he didn't want her so I called his bluff so I ran out and I went straight to our neighbors and he saw me he was like okay okay he was like come back come back and so I went grabbed her and went into you know the like to escape and I had gotten the car keys and he was like, you don't even know where I parked the car. And like, I'm going to let the dogs out and they'll be ran over and it's going to be your fault. And I'll cut off the credit cards. I had no money of my own. Everything was Mm -hmm. joint. And, um, I mean, within hours he knew what hotel I had checked into because he was up looking at the credit cards and could see where I was. We had to move the next day. Like it was insane. Um, and that was like, I think it was two days before I was able to fly out to Kansas, which I had already been planning to do. So I had put my foot down and I was like, look, we're going to move. Like you pulled me out here to be away from friends and family. There's nothing for us out here. I'm stuck in the house. I was like, if you want to make this work, like we need to be by family. So we're moving back to Kansas. And he was finally like, fine. So we were in the process of doing that. And then that happened. And so I flew out with, my daughter the next day and you know stayed with my parents and it was truly like I remember my mom still talks about it she was like I felt like you were brainwashed Mm -hmm. because we'd have conversations and I'd be like oh I have to check with him about this and she's like what like it was like going out to eat like something so minute like I was just so conditioned that you don't do, you don't breathe, you don't speak, you don't do anything without getting approval. And I had been so conditioned to do that. And it was just second nature to me because it wasn't worth the fight (laughs) because that's what it always resulted in. 
so I was thankfully that breathing room that I like was able to really kind of get my head on straight and so filed um, for divorce and immediately my lawyer had me sit down and he was like everything like every abuse incident that you remember I want you to write it out in full detail I was like, I'm going to need more than a sheet of paper. <laughs> so he like put down a notepad and put down a box of Kleenex and he was like, go. And so wrote it all out. And this lawyer, I mean, he was in his probably, I don't know, like 70s, like an older gentleman and sweetest man. But he was like, read what I had just written, just basically word vomit on a page. And he was like, this is one of the worst abuse cases I've ever seen. So he went straight to the judge and said, you know, they need protection. Here's what's happening. Um, you know, the ex is here. They're coming here um, mid-move. Like, they need protection. And the judge supposedly told him, like, oh, I would absolutely offer her, you know, temporary sole custody and get them protected. Um, but I'm worried about jurisdiction. So, hmm. yeah, because – he was in New Jersey and we were in Kansas immediately. The whole thing was, he was like, well, I don't know who's going to get it. And so, okay. So we were basically put on hold. And meanwhile, my ex then he cleared out our whole bank accounts, cut off all the credit cards. Um, I had $11 to my name <laughs> and thank God for my parents, you know, otherwise we would have wound up in a shelter uh, while we were figuring everything out. And, um, he then filed and claimed that I went to Kansas on vacation and that I just never came back and kidnapped our child. So <laughs> of course despite, he did. Yeah, despite him buying the tickets and those being a pre-planned thing and what have you, a million texts and whatever. Um, yeah, he filed. And so for three months, it was sent to New Jersey. And I mean, over like $17,000 later, <laughs> fighting that because he honestly he filed for sole custody and wanted um the state to force my daughter and I back to New Jersey and that he said I would only get like an hour of supervised visitation because I would flee with her blah 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 and you know in that moment you don't know how the system works so everything yeah. that he threw out or said like these crazy motions it's just like immediate fear and like I remember ball, like I don't think a day ever went by for like years where I did not ball because I was just so terrified of, you know, what was going to happen. And so that was three months later. And then finally, um, we won that case and it got sent to Kansas. And then that's when it truly even started. And at this point, he hadn't even bothered to see the daughter for, I think it was like five, almost six months. And had I known then, if I had just let him go and do his own thing, I mean, you could have filed and been done with it because it's like six months is neglect and abandonment. Yeah. So I did not have, it. I had a different lawyer at that point. And it's just, it was just like one bad decision after another and being handled by people that didn't know what they were doing. So I had enough evidence because I'm very type A and like documented everything and um, had enough evidence of abuse that he was put on to um, supervised visitation. And so the first time he ever 
even bothered to come see her was on her birthday. And of course, everything's always for show. Mm -hmm. Um, It's more for social media picture than anything else, but whatever. And so he showed up and they had, you know, rules and he would stalk me. Every single time there was a visit, he would stalk me on the premises and follow me. And uh, he's had family members that would come to my home, banging on my door and like leaving stuff like just to intimidate me. And I was terrified because I knew what he was capable of when we were together. (laughs) So the fact that I now have officially left him, like he doesn't have anything to lose. Like, so I was absolutely terrified that he was just going to murder us in the middle of the night. And I mean, honestly, that's what it felt like. And nobody would have really cared because no one was doing anything. And it was, I remember even trying to find a lawyer, how many people I sat and talked to and you know, you're right in the middle of it and you're spilling your story and, Oh, well he abused you. That doesn't mean he will abuse her. (laughs) That doesn't, and one lawyer and she was a woman even said to me, she was like, that doesn't mean he'll be a bad dad. And also the opposite's true. Like, like yeah. you like, use that logic. Okay. I was like, awesome. So not only were they sitting there saying, well, you know, it was probably something you did while you got mm-hmm. abused because that's our whole society. You victim blame. And I did the same thing. I didn't know anything about it. Like I said, and I'll never forget. I had a a conversation with one of my uh, college classmates and one of her friends from back home, she's like, Oh, I think, you know, her boyfriend's abusive. And I remember sitting there and saying, and I couldn't wrap my head around it. And I was like, why wouldn't she just leave? Mm -hmm. And I didn't get it. And I remember uh, my flatmate, she was like, I don't think it's that easy. Like, I don't think that's how it works. And I just remember her saying that. And I was like, hmm. And that was like, that was it. That was the end of the conversation. And I remember thinking back about that. Like, I was that person. And I was, you know, I victim blame too. Because it's like, oh, well, if anybody did that to me, I'd just walk away. But that's, it's so not the case and how it happens. So the whole society's conditions, you know, it's the woman's fault. And it's insane. Like, there's, they're never held reliable or responsible in the court systems. Yeah. So he was sent to um, anger management classes, but not even just online. Like, just here, watch this video, and then we'll give you a gold star. Like, oh, congratulations. <laughs> Which, and if you know anything about domestic abuse, it's not an anger management problem mm-hmm. because they're not beating up their bosses when they don't get a raise. They're not beating up their friends when they get into an argument. Domestic violence is a very, it's a controlling, manipulative, it's very well thought out, and it's not just, oh, I'm going to beat you up when I'm drunk. Like, it's manipulation, and it's truly, like, it's a whole different ballgame. It's not anger. They don't have anger problems. Um, Because they don't beat you up when you have company over, you know? Like, if they were just angry people, that would probably happen. I don't know. But they know what they're doing. But so he was, did that. He broke all the rules by his visitation. He had two visits, I think, maybe three of two hour long in a room where they're watching him, supposedly. And he broke every single one of their house rules and stalked me. And they were like, you know what? You showed up. Congratulations. So they moved him to what they call monitored, 
which is where, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So this is where it's not, someone's not present the whole time. It is, they randomly, he has to provide an itinerary. He has to say where he'll be, when he'll be there, like very detailed, and they will randomly drop in um, and check, just check on him, make sure she's still breathing, you know, all right, you got this. So it got moved to that. So I was absolutely livid because this was the company called the Lane Project. Um, they were the ones that were handled it and court ordered to do so. And they literally sat me down and told me when I got there, they're like, we've never handled domestic violence uh, parents before, but we assure you that we know what we're doing and we can handle this and, you know, help your family. And I was like, great, great. And they were also the same people. We were forced into co-parent counseling. Um, which so many studies have shown that you cannot co-counsel with an abuser and an abuse like a victim yeah. dynamic. It does not work because the whole point of counseling is a safe space where you can talk about things and you've got a third person that, you know, can provide a little insight and not, you know, a biased view. But when that is such a dangerous situation to be put in with your abuser, because if you're actually going to be honest and talk about, Hey, when you do, Hey, you remember when you hit me? I kind of don't like that. Like, yeah. You can't, like, what are you supposed to talk about? Like, and they sit there and they deny, you know, for, well, that never happened. You're crazy. Like there's nothing like conducive can come out of that situation. And instead anything you do talk about outside of the physical abuse, you are literally handing them a play by play of, Hey, here are the things that really get to me. So guess what they're going to do? They're going to do more of that. You're like handing them a guidebook and these people are like, do not understand. And they're like, Oh, that session went great. Cause he's like, Oh, cause they're, he's just sitting there in front of somebody else. Oh, I don't want you to feel that way. Oh, I would never want to make you feel that way. And they're like, he's wonderful. I'm like, isn't he? So <laughs> that's like, what I thought too, in the beginning. Yeah. And then the second it ends and then I get like 500 emails, like nasty things. I'm like, Oh yeah, that was effective. <laughs> so it was, it was insane. And just the logic or rather lack thereof that they applied to these cases. And we were just, we were flagged high conflict, um, which almost every domestic violence case is. And nobody has domestic violence experience that was involved. And it was truly alarming. So at this point, it's my job <laughs> to not only just navigate the law system that I know nothing about, but also to basically be educating the court and the lawyer and the judge um, about domestic violence and trying to showing them studies and showing them like it's crazy and you just hope that it sticks. Um, and it's just insane. We've got passed through, I think, two GALs, which is the guardian ad litems that are appointed to the kids. And they're supposed to be like the non-biased lawyers that represent the kids when they're not, you know, old enough to speak for themselves. And it was just a nightmare. And she was, our first one, she was like, well, she was more concerned about his lack of consistency. That's, that's what was alarming to her, not the abuse. And um, it was that first um, time that they, so the Lane Project let him off the fully supervised. It was the first visit that was monitored. She came back with bruises. Um, yeah. 
And so got her back and it was cold out as winter. So she had on long sleeve, long pants. So it wasn't until I got her home and was putting her into her PJs that I saw, you know, it looked like fingerprints on her arms. Like he shook her, got upset or something. Um, and so I called the lane project. I was like, I just found these. Do you want me to drive back? And like, so you can see them and like, what are we doing? Like what's happening? And, oh no, that's okay. Just send me an email. That's literally the response that I got. So I documented everything and, you know, emailed the lane project and the lawyers and the guardian ad litem, what have you. And I was so upset and so terrified because then, then the next morning I'm supposed to be dropping her off for another couple hour visits. And I was like, so to just do it all over again, like mm-hmm. he's going to kill her. Like I was terrified. And, um, they called and said that he canceled, didn't give a reason and he canceled. And so at that point, like we came home and, you know, my parents came over and were helping and stuff. And Riley started acting weird and she was like out of it. And I was like, what is going on? And so I was checking her over and she had a giant um, gash, like, like a, it looks like, like a rug burn or something. It was like bright red and bloody on the back of her head. And I hadn't seen it because her hair was covering it up. And so I was thought she had maybe a concussion or I didn't know. And obviously we'll never know what happened. Um, so my mom and I ran her to the emergency room, called the police and got everything because the lane project still wasn't doing anything, nothing. Um, and to this day, here we are three years later, they still have not provided um, the timesheets of the person that supposedly did the drop in. Uh, for that visit they said oh well she doesn't work for us anymore we don't have them that's the answer I got how convenient how convenient is right um so it was just hell and when you've got she was a baby so you can't ask her what happened and you'll never know and he's never honest so you'll never know um it's just it's just crazy and so um Yeah, and it's just been more of the same. But now, finally, we are uh, in Virginia. And so it was left up to me to find a monitor. And the state of Virginia does not believe in monitoring because of sound knowledge (laughs) that if someone needs to be dropped in on, then they really shouldn't be alone with a child ever. Makes sense, right? So no one would take our case. No one would do it for us. So I found um, a retired police officer and he has a background in domestic violence and he has truly been a godsend because he gets the red flags. He sees through all the bullshit. And like when, you know, my ex is doesn't show up for visits and is manipulating and then we'll turn around and say something happened that didn't happen. You know, he sees straight through that. Whereas mm-hmm. the court's it's taken them three years, but I think they're finally catching on and like, oh, wow, she was, she was right. <laughs> this guy's got a net. So like it has just been so drama filled to say the least. But I mean, for now she is happy and safe, but it's just this court systems. There's called, it's called the safe child act. And I'm trying to get that implemented obviously in Kansas where our case is still being held. 
but it needs to be in absolutely every state. And honestly, it's just common sense. But all it is, is where um, it, anytime that there's domestic violence involved, where there's child custody, it means that the people involved in the case, so like the judges or the lawyers or the guardian ad litem or any of these monitored and supervision places, they have to have background and knowledge in domestic violence. Like you would think that that would be commonplace anyway, but it's not. And so all these decisions are being making that I think it's like, um, I'm not even sure of the numbers, but I know so many women um, have had their kids taken away from them. And it's because the courts don't understand domestic violence. So they are look like the uncooperative one, whereas the abuser is sitting there, oh, yes, your honor, yes, your honor. Yeah. But behind closed doors, that's not what they're doing. And they're just, they're too slow to see that. And a lot of the women, they even have, you know, PTSD and depression mm -hmm. from the abuse. And so they look like, oh, well, they're not capable of parenting. And you better believe the abusers are the ones who are going to be pointing those things out. Um, my own ex put me on the stand and brought up all my past, you know, being drugged and raped by my neighbor and literally made me talk about it in court and said that I was um, mentally unstable because of that and that I was out to get all men because of that incident <laughs> is what he said. Like, they will use any tactic you know, to try and do that. And a lot of them, they call it uh, parental alienation syndrome or PAS. And they say that by the moms speaking truth, um, that they're trying to alienate their kids from the other thing. So you're yeah. literally <laughs> like being condemned for telling the truth. And mm -hmm. some courts, they go with that. Um, and so just the child safe act, it's just getting people that actually know what they're talking about, know what they're doing and know the psychology behind it and the effects that it has on children and actually doing what's best for the children in these situations. Cause it does vary, but just the way they're being handled in everyday cases and being flagged as high conflict, it's not working. And it's a huge disservice to these women and these children. Um, Cause even kids, even the ones that aren't abused, the ones who witness it, they have the exact same effects as if they were being the ones abused. And so I don't think anyone can sit there and say that that's in the best interest of the child, you know, to grow up like that. Yeah. And they'll bring up pretty much anything to throw up in your face. Oh my, like, gosh. <laughs> yes. oh my gosh, they will. Like, I remember when I was in court for my custody hearings, the CPS lady had come and talked to me and all that good jazz. And she said to me, she's like, well, then it looks like it's going to have to be supervised visits. So what I did is until, until they actually said it in the court, I had, you can't be alone with the kids unless your mom's around because I, you know, I don't, uh, kid, we, ha we have a daughter in common, but I also had a daughter as well. Um, and so when we went to court, they were like, there's not enough evidence here. Like, I'm like, he shot up a gun in my house. He, they're like, well, we don't know if he was trying to shoot at you. Like, he didn't hit you with the gun. And I was like, yeah, that's why the police made me stay in my house for an hour, why they went searching for him in the woods after he ran away. Because they totally thought that he wasn't coming back to kill me. And <laughs> they were like, it was just kind of ridiculous. And 
you know, now, like I said, my daughter's older and I've never seen signs of abuse with her. So every case is different, obviously, when it comes to that sort of thing. Um, but the fact that he never got monitored visits and we never like progressed from that, it went strictly to, oh, you guys have joint custody and mom has physical placement. And I'm like, yes. how does that happen? Like, please explain to me. He gets arrested for shooting off a gun in my house. Yeah. And you're just going to like slap him on the wrist and it, it yeah. all goes no, away. No. Don't do it again. Yeah. <laughs> like you be better behave yourself when for like the next year I had to share custody of her with him and he was on drugs and drinking. But my lawyer literally said, unless I could prove that or he gets arrested for any of that, there's nothing they can do about it. It's a, it is a very broken system when it comes to that sort of thing. Yeah. And I want people to realize, and I'll link up my abuse story and my friend Nisha we did last October, which is Domestic Violence Awareness Month, um, so that people can see that all three stories are very different, but you'll see some common themes of like the manipulation and the power, like they have to have power over you and how it's a slower process. It doesn't happen overnight where like they slowly strip you of all the things it's people sometimes think it's like, Oh, well on the first date and you know, he called you a bitch. So you should know, no, on the first date, he didn't call me on the, a bitch. The first date he told me how his ex had left him and he was broken hearted because she aborted their baby, which may or may not be true. Nobody knows. Yeah, nobody knows. <laughs> <laughs> like, and so like, I felt sorry for him and I was like, Oh my gosh, this poor guy. Like, Oh my gosh. Um, but first off, Brittany, I want to say thank you for sharing your story. And second off, we are at the end of our time. It goes by really fast. So if there's one thing or, or just a couple of things that you'd like to leave the Inspired Women audience with, what would you like them to know? Um, I would definitely say that if you are in a relationship, whether you're dating or engaged or married or what have you, and you feel like they belittle you or something's not right to reach out. I mean, there's the domestic violence hotline that I've called myself plenty of times. And um, I mean, or just even get a support system because truly it's, it's so much easier in the beginning if you know the red flags and you get out early. Um, but there's still hope for you, even if it's been a really long time and that you are worthy and that you are worth it and to just get out and life does not have to be like that um and then just for the women that are going through the custody battles to just keep fighting for it and don't give up because I've been told so many times uh like oh well they don't give out soul custody I have soul custody yeah of my daughter and I will I'm still not done like you better believe it so like I'm not gonna stop until you know the laws are changed for everybody because it just needs to happen and I had sole custody of my oldest daughter and her father wasn't even abusive. He just was like, didn't exist <laughs> in her life at the time. And they're like, he doesn't want to show up to court. Here you go. And I'm like, thank you. Yeah. I mean, now we have joint custody. I mean, now that she's older, and things have, he's more mature. than <laughs> He actually can adult, <laughs> but it does exist. That sole custody does exist. Um, so does supervised visitation. So do, does all of that stuff. Um, but being and being very diligent about, I mean, yeah. I wish if I had gone back, there were so many things that I would have kept track of just oh. so that I could show the court and be like, look, he is like out of his mind. Like 
do you not see this? Like, but I didn't like, and nobody else saw it. Like his family and his employer and everybody was calling me like, you need to go back to him. And when I met my husband and I married him and moved down to Virginia, I live in Virginia too. He was like, everybody was like, how dare you take his child away from him? You're such an evil woman. And I'm like, yeah, you just wait. You, you know, you just wait. And now years later, I've actually had people like, oh, you were not wrong. No, I was not. Thank you very much. (laughs) It's very disheartening when you do have the courage to speak, you know, the truth and your story and that people, they don't believe you or, oh, well, you just, you know, you wanted your custody of your kid. And so you're lying. Yeah, I've heard everything in the book. And honestly, it doesn't matter because at the end of the day, it's the truth and it's your life and you're there. You need to protect your children. So just keep fighting forward. Well, Brittany, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today and sharing your story. Yeah, no, thank you for having me and just for doing this for other women. I think it's so important. So thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the Inspire Women podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, share this out with your friends and family, and join us in the Inspire Women community on Facebook. I'll catch you next week.